Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the diverse worlds of regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I'm thrilled to guide you through this week's episode. So let's jump right in. Essentials, written by the world's leading sustainable builders, designers, and engineers, New Society Publishers' Sustainable Building Essentials series covers the full range of natural and green building techniques with a focus on sustainable materials and methods and code compliance. From rainwater harvesting to composting toilets to straw bale, rammed earth, hempcrete, and more, these unique books present the essential information on each topic. Find out more about the Sustainable Building Essentials series at newsociety.com. All right, my guest today, Benito Steen, is one of the people that I've had most requested from you listeners to do an interview with, in large part because of the success of his YouTube channel called The Nito Project, where he works with his younger brother, Panther, to make beautiful educational videos on natural building techniques, earthen plasters, and even the Japanese method of making polished clay balls called Dorodango. Now Benito is the first of my guests who grow up in natural building since his childhood rather than coming to the trades later in life. His parents Bill and Athena Steen being well-known natural building advocates and educators since the 80s, their family moved around the southwest US and Mexico teaching workshops and collaborating on projects that became the base for the skill set that he now teaches and showcases in his videos. In this interview, Benito talks about his early experiences and interest in the building trades and craftsmanship, not only with natural materials, but metalworking and blacksmithing too. We talk in detail about the high-end finish work that he's been learning and showcasing in his videos. We then explore the things that he and I have both learned from teaching natural building in different parts of the world, not only the challenges of different materials and access to tools, but also the different cultural and historical contexts that change the way people relate to buildings from the start. He and I also talk about some of the realities and challenges of building as a vocation and the process of working with clients and making a project come to fruition. So this ended up being less of a formal interview and more of a conversation. So don't worry too much about getting concrete information and techniques out of this as much as a perspective from two young builders who've traveled around a lot and love to experiment and play with different materials and techniques. So if you're looking for more actionable information on these topics, I highly recommend the interview I did with Benito's dad, Bill Steen, in the previous season, and also the interview with Kyle Holtutor, both of which we reference in this chat and that I've linked to in the show notes of this episode. You can also see the full library of podcasts on natural building that I've done just by searching through the podcast tab in the navigation bar at AbundantEdge.com. So now I'll hand things over to Benito. Hey, Benito, man, thank you so much for taking the time to be, uh, to be with me. I know we're across different continents navigating the time difference, but uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure. Now, look, um, I've followed your work for a little while. I've seen some of uh, the promos for your workshops in different places. In fact, some of the places that we've been have even overlapped quite a bit. So I think this is going to be a great conversation. Um, what do you say you just start out by telling our listeners who are unfamiliar with you and your work a little bit about your background and how you got started in natural building trades? Of course. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, 
Well, I would. I didn't. Uh, I didn't come into it um, like a lot of people being interested in in it. I was just born into it. So, um, my my parents are big natural builders, Bill and Athena Steen, who've written books on uh, straw bills, and they've also been on your podcast here. Your at least my dad has. Yeah, they have. I know. I just I can't find the time yet to synchronize schedules with your mom, but we'll get we'll get around to it. Oh yeah, that would be great. Yeah, it'd be nice to hear her on here. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. Ever since I was like, a, just you know, just as a kid, always hanging around the job sites, uh, my parents' job sites from Mexico to the states. So it was like never. There was never like I can't even really distinctly remember a moment of like when you first like put your hands in mud. Um, but it just it always being around. Yeah, you must have grown up with that association of like, you know, a lot of the things that kids who grow up kind of in a uh, kind of a more urban or a little bit more removed from from nature environments, you know, we all play in the mud and we play in sandboxes and everybody has this sort of introduction to this, but you must have sort of made that association super early on that this isn't just something that is apart from your life, but is intricately linked to it because you were living in these types of structures all growing up too. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't separated. And I think the big change was maybe to have been put like put have to have a tool put in your hand and realize that you can do a lot more with these things early mm. on. Um, my grandmother, you know, first like put that trowel in my hand when I was eight, and uh, and and in some ways that's it's um, it's it's much easier to like learn some of those things like plastering when you're that young. Because it's more like plastering is much more like a language, um, where it it's it's not it's not um it's not as theoretical um, of a skill. It's just more the feeling and like that action. Sure. And I think uh, I think it's 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 been a lot to me trying to teach people like thinking about how to try to get people back to that like child place and not be so conscious in their in their movements, but actually being more aware as they do that. But anyway, that's kind of, um, that's like the basics of where, yeah, where I started into natural building. I went into the trades too early on when I was, I never went to school, so I was homeschooled. And when my, um, when I some at some point I decided I was like interested in metal just because it was just like this far, like this material that was just so far out there. And my my mom like just knew just one of the best blacksmiths in the world, Tom Joyce, and he just gotten the MacArthur grant, and so up there I went. I was sent off to like you know apprentice with uh, Tom Joyce for two years in a row, um, learning blacksmithing, and that's what I thought I was going to do. You know, later on I figure out that like you know metals kind of it's really hard and uh, and it's dirty and hot work, and you're like, well, you know what? I kind of like clay actually, <laughs> so. That's hilarious. Yeah, like it very, takes going all the way to metal to make clay and mud look like the cleaner and the more comfortable of the <laughs> of the options that you have. <laughs> I love that because I've played around with yeah. metal a little bit. I used to work on ships. I did a lot of welding there, and I like I never went through oh, wow. uh, like a trades yeah. level, but definitely transitioning uh-huh. from that and working closer to nature was a very similar association for me. I was like, yeah, this is kind of an environment that I would like to spend more time in. And there's still a ton yeah. of options for what you can make with it. Yeah, definitely. 
uh, it's uh, it's it's something I like to go back to, but now more as like a hobby. Um, sure. Yeah, I'd rather just spend my time with like mud in my hands if if I have to. You know, so tell me a little bit nice about like how growing up around all of these trades and seeing some of the the beautiful works of art that can be made with materials all around you. I mean, this was a big part of your environment. What was it that you really latched onto personally? Was it being able to build entire structures? I know you do a lot with finish work and sort of more artistic elements of this. Where is kind of like your, your inspiration around this really stem from? Yeah, I don't think it's, um, yeah, since it wasn't, it wasn't, since I was born into it, it is a little different that I wasn't coming at it from um, like a green aspect, you know, a kid doesn't like think about, oh yeah, I'm doing this because it's, because um, this is like the sustainable green option. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, kids just like, uh, you're just, you're inspired by making something beautiful um, and making art, right, out of something. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's still kind of what I, that's what I really enjoy doing is just trying to make something beautiful. And, and I think that's and a lot if of it, how If the material know. is like enjoyable to work with, but yeah, if it also, if that material is just enjoyable to work with too, then you're naturally um, going to be drawn to using those things. And I think that's a lot of how people sort of know your work right now, or at least like in the circles that I communicate with and some people who've reached out to me through the podcast have asked me to interview you because of some of the videos that you've made doing the Dorodango, the uh, polished plasters, and that tutorial video of a bunch of different types of natural building methods. Tell me a little bit about how the aesthetic element of working with natural materials has become, I guess, sort of a trademark of your work at this point. Hmm. Yeah, I think it, um, well, I think it just lends itself to something that we haven't, that people don't see on the average basis because um, there's just so, well, there one is to say, I guess there'd be, there's, there's just so much beauty to, uh, drawn out of like just natural materials and to, <clears throat> so I think it's, it's really easy to, it's really easy to bring people into that, into that world, I guess, but. I'm not sure exactly how to answer that one. No, no, that's fair. It's kind of yeah. an abstract question. Um, yeah. Going back to one of the things that you said earlier about how you connected with this at like an early age, and it's kind of hard to go from there and teach people who are maybe coming into it for the first time how to feel and connect with these materials and these techniques and processes that maybe by now you just kind of have down to muscle memory because you've done it for so long. Um, so tell me a little bit more about that challenge and some of the ways that you help people connect um, away from just perhaps looking at it as recipes and techniques to, to start from the beginning. Yeah, I've been trying to figure out more and more how to like try to get people out of there being really aware as they as they touch the material and move it on a wall. And I think maybe more like a child is um, a lot of people want to say, okay, well, what's the movement I'm supposed to do here? And how, you know, again, what is the recipe to like making um, a nice, like a nice, a nice curve or a surface. Right. And there is no, it's really, it, it just, there is no like one move to be done there. You have to, you definitely have to, 
there's this, this, this communication of like picking up the material and feeling it and seeing it this back and forth that goes with the clay definitely and a little bit more so in those it's a great place to start like learning how to manipulate um material for it to like to start that communication with it because it's something that we can touch and it's something that we can uh we can even put in our mouths we can we can feel it we can you you're supposed to like hear it feel it even taste it right and, sure and that's when uh that's having all those sensory all those senses open is definitely what it takes to try to like get somebody actually like plastering for example um so i'm still experimenting with that too like trying to figure out how how to open that up and get people to to really be be um present yeah yeah, that is a big part of it. And it's something that I'm having to completely relearn now that I've settled in a new place. I just, it's been a little bit over a month that I moved here to Spain. And the difference between this climate and this geology and the resources around me here, and not to say nothing of the regulations and what you're allowed to do, uh, <laughs> different from where I was in the mountains of Guatemala for about two and a half years before this, and a lot of the different places that, that I've traveled, I'm wondering from your experience, since you've done a lot of traveling and taught in many different places, what uh, each different locale maybe has taught you or what you've learned to recognize either in patterns or some of the questions and investigations that you kind of do from the beginning in order to get yourself a little more familiar with the differences of the place that you're working in. Oh man, there's just so much when you like, when you travel as you can relate, like how much you how much you learn from um, people who've either been there for a long time or new people who've come into that spot and, and ideas and patterns and designs and, um, and also the challenges, of course, like you're, you're saying, I'm sure like the challenge with the challenges comes so much more understanding of the materials around you. Um, Teaching always helps too because you're just teaching in a new place where you have these challenges of, you know, a dirt that doesn't break down, or and then they try to think about why it's not breaking down. And sometimes in in that whole process, you kind of you gain, um, yeah, you gain so much in in the understanding of what it is when you try to, yeah, when yeah when you try to put it all together. Sure. We also end up bringing the students with you in the investigation process, right? Because it's one thing if you have kind of everything already set, you've got your clay, you've got your sand or whatever, even sometimes in bags, and you just yeah. show them how to put it together is one thing. But if they go back to their place and they don't have access to the same materials, like what is the analysis process that's going to bring them to an understanding of how to mix those things together, what the textures they're looking for, why they shouldn't be surprised when one clay that feels the same dry as the one that they used before all of a sudden like cracks like crazy when it when it <laughs> dries on the wall and what they should yeah. do about it like it really is an investigative process and it can be really frustrating sometimes because you kind of have to start <laughs> over again every time you get to a new place i'm sure you can relate yeah. but yeah. it also i don't know it's like for me it has always kept me on my toes like i get to come into it um, like a kid again for each time and, and see what's different. And, and you, you end up just having to play around a lot, you know? 
it's like it's built into the job description is just playing and experimenting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely part of the part of the game. <laughs> so what are some of the other things that you've learned through these different places that you've gone maybe away from the materials and the techniques specifically, but like how different people and different cultures relate to natural building trades? Because I mean, I've seen a huge plethora of associations from you know, people revering it as sort of an, an ancestral technique that has kind of been lost to, you know, the other far end spectrum of it's like, it's completely devalued because the value has now been put on cement and steel and, you know, industrial products. Have you learned much from the differences in the way those, the cultural aspects of natural building have kind of manifested in where you've gone? Yeah, it is. It's fun to, it's fun to watch. Um, how people approach it. I think I see this mostly through my YouTube videos these days in the comments um, from either people around the world or people even in the, you know, in my country in the States. But um, yeah, you hear the same thing that extremes from, yeah, people, people really interested in like that you're, that you built, you still build those Adobe houses and you explain to them that's what you do in the States when traveling somewhere in like Peru or something like that. And the fascination that like the taxi cab driver gives you to somebody just being like, well, yeah, why, why are you doing that? Sure. Why, why are you going backwards? Like <laughs> you're uh, trying to reinvent the wheel here or something. Um, yeah. Um, no, I remembered working on a project in Senegal and we were building a cob house for a client out there uh, <laughs> first through a workshop and then with the, the local crew that kind of stayed on to help. And uh, we had so many neighbors coming by uh, wondering, like, is it going to get too cold in there? Is it going to fall over as soon as the rains come and stuff? And I was like, man, there's a whole bunch of buildings done with mud like this, like a couple miles <laughs> south of here. And they've been there for a really long time. <laughs> I'm also willing to bet that almost uh, all of your ancestors, including maybe one or two generations removed, lived like this. And it's, it's interesting to see how quickly the doubt and uh, how quickly they kind of forget that, you know, these are perfectly valid and, and frankly, much more proven building methods in, in most cases than, you know, yeah. these kind of ramshackle cement yeah. boxes many of which i mean like those were falling apart and those had only been up for a couple of years and it's it's funny to <laughs> yeah. me how like it's not given the same scrutiny as anything yeah. from the past it's like there's there's no one size fits all building material anywhere whether it's industrial or whether it's old and for some reason like the scrutiny is only put on the older methods as if these newer ones had been tried and tested for a longer period of time yeah. I noticed um I had a workshop with my dad like a few years back in in Mexico and it was it was fun it was a, it was like a 100 like it was a 100 like a crew of 100 people on this site. You know, Mexican workers and uh and they were doing all the all these structures out of earth and lime um and masonry and some wood but um they they the workshop was just geared towards these 10 um like the 10 leader, like the 10 top um, construction guys. Mm -hmm. So, so we just got the, you know, the, like the, the masters of the masters. Um, and it was so fun. It was the first time I think I've ever taught a class like that for sure, because it's like, 
teaching construction workers, but the the interest these guys were showed right away, like they followed you every single word by like just like with like full awareness and attention, just like how what like how are we gonna learn? What are we what are we doing exactly? Mm. Yeah. So I've never you've never I've never seen a, yeah a class more uh, attentive and like eager. <laughs> Sure. That was, that was an amazing one to see. You know, I've, I haven't spent a whole lot of time in Mexico, but the little bit of time that I have, the people that I met seem to be way more switched on to this kind of stuff than perhaps in other regions of the world that I've gone. Like for some reason in mm. Southeast Asia, mostly is where I've seen yeah. like, a, I don't want to say a disregard, but kind of a lack of interest, partly because there's not a huge earth and building tradition in a lot of those regions. A lot of it was more like around, the hardwoods yeah. from the jungles that used to be there or bamboo in a lot of cases, yeah. especially because they get super, super heavy weather and it kind of made a lot more sense to build somewhat temporary structures and have to, you know, replace them every handful of seasons. Whereas places I think that, that uh, have larger swings in temperature and maybe less, less severe weather events it makes more sense to build for the longer term and then just have maybe a roof or something that gets replaced over time or that gets maintained more often. And I'm still yep. trying to figure that out. I mean, I've read some books about it, but it's, it's hard to take on a case by case basis, but it's just like, you know, different observations that I'm trying to put together and make more sense of because I mean, hmm. every place has its cultural context and, and, uh, and history to draw from. And it seems to affect that, but not only that, but like the, um, the modern economy and the drive and like the cultural narrative in, in modernity as well, that I guess promotes the, the value of certain things over others. But maybe I'm getting a little too abstract now. <laughs> is there much, uh, is there much um, natural, what kind of natural building is there in Spain at the moment? Well, there's like a lot of there? preservation of old structures here. Um, yeah, okay. I spent the first month volunteering at another site um that they, a couple of guys were restoring an old masia um which is an old farmhouse it was mostly built from stone it was about 250 years old and it was a matter of like um protecting the wooden vigas that were keeping the roof up and were starting to rot a little bit from lack of maintenance and trying to see if they could like open up some windows or redo some of the plasters that had started to come down, um, partly because like some newer ones were done poorly with cement. But there is, uh, there's a lot of effort to restore old, especially stone and brick buildings around here is what I see. Mm. Yeah, I could imagine that. With, and there uh, also seems to be some interest in bringing in uh, straw bale and slip straw wall systems here too. Because as good as the stone is for a lot of things, depending on where you are in the region, um, the lack of insulation in these buildings can be really tough for energy efficiency. Of and course. <laughs> there is still a lot of grain production in, in different areas because, I mean, due to a couple hundred years of deforestation, the land isn't that great for much else in a lot of places. Um, and a um, lack of water resources, especially in the center of the country seems to be a big right. driver for, for things like this. So there is a lot of like um, grain straw to be had, I think. But I'm just kind of getting into like where these things are popular and where they're permitted and allowed too. So I'm, I'm just kind of starting to scratch the surface. But certainly if anybody's well, yeah, yeah. listening to this 
and they know of any resources in Spain, definitely hit me up. <laughs> Leave something in the comments or send me an email. Um, yeah, that's, uh, it's only been a month you've been there, you said? Just a little over a month, yeah. And I spent most wow. of that time like volunteering with those guys to, to learn a little bit more about the, um, the structures that are already around because mm -hmm. there are a lot of protections in this region about like where you can build and, and density. So, mm. you know, you could buy a piece of land, but it's totally illegal to build anything on it. So it seems kind of for a longer term plan for myself and my partner here, it might be to renovate an existing building and maybe do some renovations and, and add-ons to it. And so I kind of wanted to learn about, you know, how that works with, because I haven't spent that much time in stone buildings. I've, I've definitely spent time in earthen buildings and, uh, you know, a lot of wooden structures, especially in the north of the United States. But um, well, yeah, when you get down to it is, you know, well, if you're talking about Cobb or Adobe, you're really talking about masonry buildings. Sure. Which, Thermal mass, yeah. big time. Yeah. Big, so it's really, a, it's just, it's just the stones are a lot smaller. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they're really, they are kind of stone buildings, man. Man, what I've been impressed to see is like the stonework is, I don't want to say it's bad. It's definitely not bad, but it's not as uh, it's not as precise or it's not as like uh, sturdy as I would have thought it was maybe from pictures looking from a distance, but like they don't have yeah. any earthquakes here, which is a context that's totally new to me because when I was in the Philippines and when I was in uh, yeah. uh, Guatemala, especially like that was the major thing that we had to build to. And, you know, you can't just slap together some like, sand and lime mortar and <laughs> and just like yeah. chunk a whole bunch of rocks in to form a wall it wouldn't hold more than a season right but here they've yeah. got like you know five to eight hundred year old medieval castles that are built like this and like you can go over to the wall and kind of like pick and scratch a little bit at the mortar and it kind of crumbles it, <laughs> it sort of blew my mind yeah. it's like the climate here and the lack of earthquakes and the lack of major storms and it's like yeah it's been it's going to be here forever you just have to keep the yeah. roof on yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. You don't even have uh, snow loads or anything. <laughs> no, nothing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, not until you go. get up into the Pyrenees, but I think you start to find more. Um, I think you start to find more wooden structures as you get up that region too. Yeah, it's fascinating because be I just I've never spent any real time investigating the buildings in Europe. Most of my travels up until now have always been on other continents. Like Europe is one of the places that I've explored the least. So. Um, mm. a, lot, a lot to learn but like super super old rich building history in these yeah. areas and like you can go super far back with the the plaster techniques i mean i'm sure you've you've researched and seen stuff from like old italian plaster traditions and there's a whole guild just on lime plastering techniques and restoration in england that has a good website there's really cool resources yeah i know it's a it's an amazing approach it's completely different um from how how we approach it here and they're just a long long masonry um history and so sure. how they how they approach even lime or clay just mm -hmm. basically, it's completely different from maybe where more recently like my parents have gotten a lot of their um inspiration from japan and japanese stuff and then uh and then native stuff so that oh yeah so seem to relate a little bit more somewhat it kind of depends on where you are but yeah a little bit more towards the fiber end and and yep. those guys are yeah I yeah and i would I, I 
I learned a lot about that through the interview with uh, Kyle Holtzuder. I'm sure, have you talked oh, yeah. to him or met him? I know you guys both uh, taught courses at Masatao. Yeah, I've known him since I was, yeah, since I was young. I oh, that's was, awesome. Yeah, must have been, I must have met him when I was like 16 originally. So. Yeah, I learned so much from that interview. I didn't realize that the fiber-based plasters over there were such a big thing and that like, I can't think of anywhere else other than Japan where you could just buy like huge tons of already chopped straw fibers. Like, <laughs> yeah, in different sizes. Product. Yeah, exactly. It's not a product you can get anywhere else. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. But uh, but if you're in but if you're in Europe, um, some places just like what exact sand size you want, you can go yeah. ahead and buy the bag sand yeah. at like exactly this size and exactly yeah. in this size. So. Well, in this region, because we're not far from the Mediterranean, I'm just uh, about 30 minutes outside of Barcelona. Um, the, oh, cool. Yeah, the, the earth is super sandy around here, and I've, I've yet to find a, a really good deposit of clay. Um, <laughs> so it's like, okay, there goes a whole bunch of techniques <laughs> that I thought I knew. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of like figuring out what the resources here are and how to put them together because... I don't even find like that much stone until you go up into the mountains. Um, it seems mm. to already have been mostly used for the existing buildings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is interesting that you wouldn't, you wouldn't see the stone because it, uh, because it's all been taken. Almost. I mean, I'm sure it's not all been taken, but no, you also can't down, just but... walk onto any land and like grab a bunch of stones either. As much <laughs> start as your co- start your that. quarry. <laughs> sure. sure. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's something you kind of forget about, uh, you know, especially both of us growing up in the United States, there's just so much like BLM land and places mm. along the side of the highway where you can just go and grab stuff. Um, and I know there's much less populated areas, like technically I'm still in the suburbs of Barcelona. So all the land for the most part is used if it's not, uh, national parks, but I can't just like yeah. go around and forage earth and materials around here. Not really. <laughs> not yeah. No, <laughs> no, that is a, it's a real, uh, it's a real luxury, like building this house in, um, New Mexico where we could just grab the, the rock on site. I actually got to do my first, like, bit of stone masonry um milling up stone and so on oh man i love that like that's how i first really connected with natural materials is i started uh building trails uh in national parks around the four corners region and it was all stonework and so yeah 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 like getting into foundations and stuff was really fun for me it was only later that i learned how to work with earth but like so actually so let's start from the beginning why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about this project that you've been working on and kind of the context and the materials and, and, and things to catch them up to speed. Oh yeah, of course. Um, yeah, this is just a, it's just a kind of a small off grid cabin that, um, the, for some, some, some folks who want to like, um, eventually build maybe another little cabin out there and spend their whole time out there. But, uh, if we just got, I just came back from that job and it, it's now it's the second summer on it. So it's slow moving, but it's, but it's really beautiful. It's been a, um, we've gathered so far the, the rocks on site and built the foundation. We built the foundation out of the sandstone and the granite footing on the whole thing it sits on. And the adobes are, the whole thing is trying to make a film out of the, this idea too as well. So we'll see how that comes. It's been kind of a long, tedious process trying to film a whole house. Mm, exciting. But yeah. Yeah, it is. It is really exciting if it comes through, which kind of it's it's trying to show the forging of the chisel, which is where we're trying to start. You know, like forging of the chisel, 
to like cut the stone to um, bring in like seeing the adobes being made right there like just 45 minutes away to cutting the timbers for the roof um, oh yeah yeah just showing a lot more of not just the the building of it but the processing of these materials and all this kind of stuff that kind of goes which is super important to show i'm really glad you guys are taking the time to do that because i think that's the part that's maybe most overlooked that i've found in teaching and working Mm. with people who are new to natural building is realizing that you know because you're not purchasing things that are pre-processed uh, yeah, there's a whole lot of steps that go into making raw materials yeah. ready to use as construction materials. And you like, that's the trade off, right? You may, uh, you may be paying less or getting your stuff for free, but there's this whole other process that's involved in, in creating something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So your material budget goes way down as far as what you spent on materials, but I mean, you're spending a lot on labor, but it, uh, yeah, either if you're hiring it or if you just you have to budget mm-hmm. for time, right? Yeah, but yeah, it's a really it's a really fun, beautiful project so far. Um, just to just to live off grid up there as well, and um, and yeah, look for the film. I mean, it'll be a whole another year before it's we got a film on it. But um, yeah. So how long have you out. been working on it up until now, and how long do you kind of budget out for the future before it's finished? It's um, it's not much more time left in it. It's probably been it's kind of a three month so far work into it roughly, mm-hmm. um, and it's probably got about a month left in it. And it's only about four hundred square feet, but um, okay. And but like pretty complex as far as a the roof and window and all these details go. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what takes up the time. Well, so I'm curious if you feel comfortable talking about it. Tell me a little about your process, kind of working with the clients from either the point where they contact you. I don't know if you knew them from before to kind of forming an idea and working with their needs, their context, their desires for for a living space and kind of how you come to agreements about what you're able to offer. Um, I mean, we don't have to go into details about compensation and stuff, but it's I think it's really good for people who are starting to think about this as perhaps uh, a vocation, sort of the process of of bringing a client through concept all the way to coming up with an agreement to like how you guys are going to build it. Yeah, I mean that is a tough one. <laughs> it, I mean it's, it's super uh, different for each context, I'm sure. I mean it has been for me, but yeah. Well, I think just uh, that whole relationship is um, it's. Um, Ooh, it's always draining on me at least. Um, it's surprisingly intimate is what I've found. Yeah. Like you really, you end up spending I've, a lot of I've time. I've realized how much more walls I put up instantly these days. Mm. <laughs> and then I slowly have to, you know, like drop them and like become more sociable again. But Sure, um, sure. But yeah, how traumatized you get a little bit over <laughs> like having clients and more clients and, you know, houses there's just so much um i mean ignorance is just so bliss (laughs) if you could just go back to like not uh not really worrying about you know rain and um all these potential callbacks Um, yeah yeah and and especially when it comes to like earthen plasters and finishes like that who are that who who else are they going to call 
Like, right. You, well, you have to, like you, you're, you're the one on who has so to come much. back here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you've taken yeah, on you, so much. Like if you're doing an entire build from start to finish all the way through plasters and stuff, I mean, there's a reason why other tradespeople have subcontractors and have a lot of other people do those parts. I mean, it's a huge undertaking, not just in time, but in, in thought and planning. Is it something that you kind of look forward to taking on these sort of all encompassing projects or do you kind of prefer to do things a little bit more piecemeal, um, like maybe just plasters or just putting up walls, for example? Yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't take this kind of a project on unless these, um, unless I had like the right clients. And in this case I do, like I have just really, um, just loving, caring people that who put their faith in me um, mm. and in turn I'll like do everything for them. Um, sure. But that's, that's far few in between to like find somebody who's going to, you know, take that leap of faith. Um, you're talking about just a lot of money and you're talking about, um, and you're talking about something that can just go really wrong really fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those things can go, I've had a lot of, um, they're also really, it's nice to find people who are really supportive and helpful there in that process in whatever they, way they can be. Uh, a lot of people start off thinking that it's just going to be like this thing that they're going to, you know, help you with and uh, they're going to build it half themselves. And, you know, that's never the case. They, they, uh, they end up not doing any of the work or something, but um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I've definitely had that. We're like, oh, yeah. we really want to, we really want yeah. you to like help walk us through building our own house. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, if you do this yourself, it's gonna end up costing this much extra. <laughs> not yeah. just be just because like it's gonna go that much slower, or you know, it's it's much more of a teaching process than at that point. And usually when it shake, or I mean, in the few cases where I've had it shake out, they're like, oh, actually. <laughs> Can you just get a team on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We actually don't really want to do this at all. Um, it comes up, yeah. The reality yeah. sinks in and then things change really fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had lots of those. Um, lots of them. But uh, So, yeah, now I'm it's still, you're still trying to figure it out exactly um, what kind of jobs I would take or not. Um, but I am, I am a little bit more invested in doing stuff that's like, now that I can kind of pick and choose sometimes what I do. Sure. I would, I usually do like to pick something that's, I'm a little bit more involved. Um, I get, a, I get a lot of plaster projects that are through my, my, um, my, my buddy in Oakland who runs, uh, his, um, his projects called, he, he runs a company called level five. Um, they're out of Oakland and he does, he does a lot of stuff for these big, these like for, for Google and Slack and like all these big tech companies and stuff like that. Sure. And it's fun to be just flown in for his projects as well, just to like, just do some kind of conventional plaster, but in this art, like um, these single singular art pieces and stuff like that. So yeah, you're kind of yeah, like yeah. confronted with this nice challenge of kind of to, to make this. Yeah super i'm sure these these walls are like forty thousand dollar walls some of them <laughs> oh yeah easily and like yeah. those custom plaster jobs are not <laughs> yeah no i meant just the plaster is probably yeah, yeah exactly like yeah, yeah. yeah so tell me a little bit about um kind of your attraction to plaster and 
the aspects that you're exploring or most inspired by these days? Because I've seen this, like the, the video that I really gravitated towards was the polished clay plaster uh, one that you did. The red with, um, I can't remember what kind of oil you used on it, but it came out beautiful. Thank How you. long yeah. does something like that take on a, on a large wall? And like, yeah, what are, what are your interests in, in furthering the development of these types of aesthetics? Yeah, it's funny that I, some of these are more, I've, like, I have hardly like sometimes enough time to like just go experiment or I give myself like so little time to just go do that. Um, and it's usually just comes up something new. So like, for example, like that, that polished clay plaster, that was something like, so it's something my dad had started and maybe it came from like my mom's side of the family that always um, polished pottery. Mm-hmm. And and then something my dad has done in the past, and I don't know exactly how what my what my dad's approach or techniques were towards it. They were never is maybe not quite as like polished, but he's always had like different. So there's never there's just not a there was not a question in my mind that I could just do it. But it was there's usually these few days before filming the video, I just say, okay, Panther, we're gonna film a polished clay plaster video, and then I'm like, okay, wait, hold up, I need to figure out how I'm gonna how I'm going to do it. <laughs> so I spent a day or two, like figure out how to do it. And then I learned a whole bunch, you know, same thing actually happened with those Dorodongo video. I, I had, I've made like quite a few in the past, but my friend asked for a video on it and I was like, Oh, that would make a good video. Um, and so I was like, I, you know, I need to like learn how to make the way I want to show it. And so like a week later, um, a week later, there's like 50 Dorodongo, like two weeks later, more like, um, there's like 50 Dorodongos laying around the living room. And now I've come up with a whole bunch of textures. Um, yeah, that I really loved watching. Yeah, the ones with the string <laughs> and the different stipplings. Um, yeah, that all just came out of just trying to like make a video on it sometimes. Sure. So, and th- so those textures, for example, I've been put- I was putting them on walls after that. Um, and so stuff like that yeah that definitely inspires me but it's kind of it's just so random what's gonna like fuel the next idea right but that's really good that you have an outlet like that that you can collaborate with your brother on with those videos because it's probably a good incentive to try out new stuff Um, yeah it gives it more than just like oh I'm gonna do it to do it it's like well I can maybe put out a finished product after Mm -hmm. the experimentation process no yeah, it would be a little bit much to like if I just were to go outside right now and go make a, you know, a a sample um, of something new. Uh, yeah, if if I've got like an experiment that I want to try, oftentimes I just won't finish it and just trying to figure out what I learned. But if I put it like, okay, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to write an article about it, or if I'm going to do, you know, something mm, with a finished yeah. product, it actually makes me take those last steps to to get it done. Is that how that works for you? Oh, totally. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been great. Um, yeah, going to extra step. Being in other places sometimes, like the, like, um, the ranch, Rancho Masatal, like just to be able to spend some time there and like, um, you know, decide that they want like a, like a special plaster over here and uh, to be able to spend that little extra time making something creative. That's another good spot to to bring in a little bit of um, some new ideas and new textures or new ways to, to bring, um, bring walls to life. Yeah. Mm. Or the majority. 
show, really showcase the materials. And so are there any other techniques or I guess skills around natural building, especially plaster work that you're excited to learn or that you haven't tried out yet that you want to get your hands on? Oh yeah. I mean, there's just, I mean, that one is just, it's so unlimited that there's always just so much to learn. Um, yeah, I've, I really would like to spend more time with other experts too. Um, mm-hmm. who, who spent like most of their life doing plaster work. Uh, there's always so much to be gained there. Uh, I, yeah, I really appreciate that, that aspect of it. More time just spent with um, doing stuff with clay and um, even limes and stuff like that. It's all, it's all very beneficial. Yeah. It seems like there's, it seems like I'm never, it never stops. Yeah. It's just continually gaining um, a lot of knowledge in that, in that aspect. It's not, uh, it's not slowing down in returns like a lot of things sometimes. Mm, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. No, I'm the same way, like, especially around these things that we're talking about. It's like the more I learn, the more questions I end up having and the more I want to go yeah. a little bit deeper. And then it's just a matter of like, oh man, that's going to take a lot of time. How am I going to balance that with actually doing work for clients and these other things that actually pay? <laughs> <laughs> well, so to shift gears a little bit here, yeah, something yeah, that totally. I'm starting to... Uh, explore a little bit more especially with people around natural building is like you know there's there's this whole range of different techniques that one can use but no like what I was saying with uh, natural building especially with all the interviews that I've done around this series you know it's, it's one thing to identify the correct materials or the techniques for building a structure around you know your local area or within a historical context or whatever it might be but there's this whole other idea around natural building that I think is possibly even more relevant, especially to our time and place is that this should be a change in lifestyle, you know, because if you're still living the same consumptive way and still relying on technology to kind of provide for you or the same uh, economic systems that are incredibly unstable as, as your source of sustenance or livelihood, you know, the, the quality or the materials of your building might not make a big difference in the way that you live at the end. Um, if you have any thoughts on that as like what it kind of means to make a, a shift to a more natural lifestyle or to depend a little bit more on um, the, the ecology and the community around you. Is that something that you've learned kind of growing up in somewhat of an alternative way in, in the Southwest or has, has it become more kind of something that you've understood better as you've grown up and, and seen a lot of different examples of it? Yeah, I think. Um it is a lot it's definitely much easier to they do go hand in hand and I agree with that like I couldn't be making the work I am in some ways without being like here or the house that I was working on um for it not to be like also being living off grid um out in my old my grandmother's adobe cabins out there um but yeah, it just seems that I I don't if I say I have much more to add, but that it uh it just they seem to go hand in hand with the space around you. Um, so I mean I know for you this has been a lifestyle that you grew up with from the beginning, and and you know I'm sure you've seen a lot of other ways, but it's kind of your norm. A lot of the other people that I talk to have kind of come through it from a perspective of having lived in a city or in a suburb or something, and this is a big transition for them. 
So maybe it's harder for you to think about what aspects of the lifestyle that goes along with it are kind of essential for your idea of what natural living is. But if you could maybe give some insight on, on these things that have been, um, I guess, kind of the, the main point of living in this alternative way or that you've, you've noticed are missing perhaps when you go and visit either other communities or uh, people with different lifestyles, what kind of stands out to you that, that feels disconnected from that perspective? Mm. Yeah, I think most of it is that I, for me and my work in making stuff has been, because um, I, lived, I lived in Oakland for four years, uh, Oakland, Berkeley, and the Bay Area. Um, and uh and doing remodeling and commuting and like and i think yeah it definitely hit a switch there where i was just like wow i just am not uh this is not satisfying um my creative like having the space to be creative um or the resources sometimes a little bit um that i that just comes with having space, um, the dirt and the grass that I can look outside and all these things I could make stuff out of. Um, but yeah, I think that, that is the sense of the sense of like losing, or like you lose a little bit so much in like, in having a schedule as simply as that, like just having, having your daily life go on, like in, you have to be at work at this time. Um, that that's that simply does it for me. Like just being able to to wake up and um, say, Panther, let's go grab, let's let's uh, you know, let's go record right now and uh, make a video. That. Yeah, the freedom of time is is a big difference. I've noticed as well. Although yeah, I have also had some pretty demanding schedules, like working in in rural areas and like tending to a farm, <laughs> especially when you have animals, man, that can oh. get, there's yeah. no weekends. When you have animals. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, I mean, we have a few ducks here, but it's pretty minor. <laughs> <laughs> ducks are pretty low maintenance. I love ducks for that reason. <laughs> They're pretty good foragers. They don't need a lot of attention. Um, no. Undervalued for people who like have yards and stuff. Chickens, I think, are a little <laughs> bit higher maintenance than ducks are, even though they're not as wily. They're they're a little bit messier too, man. Sure. It's just like, yeah, they get. But they are a lot softer on a garden. They won't just like mm. tear up your beds the way that the chickens will. Oh yeah, I meant the chickens are dirtier. They're oh just yeah, okay. Pooping, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come poop in your shop, and you know, <laughs> yeah, go poop over everything. <laughs> Well, hey, look, man, um, I'd love to keep talking for a really long time. I know we got more to catch up on. Hopefully we can do another uh, a follow up episode in the future. But for now, why don't you tell us uh, if you've got workshops or other educational opportunities coming up and how people can contact you if they want to either learn more or learn more about your services as well? Yeah, uh, well, I've definitely encouraged everybody to go on to um, my YouTube channel, The Neato Project, N-I-T-O. Um, and yeah, we got a whole bunch of great videos on there. That's what we're kind of working. That's what I've been most excited about working on. And um, otherwise, my parents' website is a great place to kind of check on um, workshops that I potentially have are usually listed on there, The Canelo Project. 
uh, that's a good place to learn more about um, straw bale and plaster work. And I'll have a course also, maybe that's not listed on there yet, will be in, a, in Costa Rica in February, end of February. Um, just a general natural building one with Nick. Uh, should be a great course. Um, yeah, those are the main spots Fantastic. for the most part. Yeah. yeah, well, I'm really looking forward to seeing the other videos as they start to come out. And uh, let's stay in touch to see if we can uh, get together and collaborate on a project to see if we can either get you out to Spain or if I'll... Oh, next time I'll be, be awesome. back down in the in that region as well because I miss the the north or the southwest. Like I used to live, um, well, I did all those trail projects in the Four Corners region, and then I lived outside of Taos. Did you ever meet um, Carol Cruz at one of like the um, the building colloquiums? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, she's she always was, around when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh, she's awesome. She was my main teacher for plasters and elises and stuff. And that's really how I got exposed to finished work. And she really opened my eyes to a whole bunch of other techniques too, when I thought that I was just going to focus on Cobb. Um, ah, so that's yeah, that awesome. region is super dear to my heart as well. Yeah. Awesome, awesome to be here. Yeah. It was such a pleasure having you. Let's keep in touch. All right. Right on. All, all right. right. Take care, bud. Until next time. See ya. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we share. I'm very grateful to all of you who have added comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at abundantedge.com. And all of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again in next week's session.